Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 112 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 7th, 2010, almost tax day. Get those taxes returns in if you haven't done so yet. But we have an exciting show for you this week on the podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We've got a couple segments today. We're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We'll talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. In the second segment, all about USC football. Spring football has started, so we've got a lot to talk about with that. Last week, they actually had the pro day. It uh, wasn't super exciting, but we were going to talk to you a little bit about that as well. And first up, we love to talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde. We didn't have him on last week, so we had some, a buildup of questions, but we'll get to him this week. Coach, how are you doing today, sir? Buddy, I'm doing pretty good. We're in the spring practice. The weather's getting a little bit better. Just when I think it's going to get better, it rains again. But, you know, uh, I think we're getting closer to summer, and I think football season is going to be fantastic because I think the summers are coming a little bit later. So, I mean, that means football weather all through football season. And, uh, you know, it's gone uh, quickly. It's gone quickly. We're in the spring practice, and before long, the summer will be here, and fall camp will be opening up. It's going quick, and uh, it, I think Charger fans really were anticipating this spring because of so many interesting new things and wrinkles and, and you know with the new coaches and a couple new players on campus, a lot to look forward to, and we're going to get to all of that, but I wanted to thank our sponsor real quick, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287 is their phone number. And, of course, sctickets.com, easy uh, URL to remember there. If you need tickets for anything, concerts, sporting events, take your wife or girlfriend out to the theater, any of that, go to Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. And, uh, Coach, yeah, I mean, I think this was one of the most highly anticipated spring footballs in recent memory. I mean, at least probably since the beginning of the Pete Carroll era. So many new things to to look at out there on the practice field. I mean, we, you were looking forward to this spring quite a bit, weren't you? I really am looking forward to the spring practice and the changes and so on. You've heard me talk about the changes and so on. There's been a lot of changes, maybe not uh, to the naked eye, but there has been a lot of changes as far as practice itself and people not uh, just having the freedom of going in and out the door, walking all around the field and so on. There's certain areas you have to stand at and you have to also have a special way of being admitted uh, and i don't know what their format is on that but i think it changes changes daily almost coach like you're supposed to call in and they're having people sign waivers and it's really kind of they're flying by the seat of their pants here shooting at the hip i'll give you a few more uh, cliches but it's it's different now and i think they're figuring it out almost on a daily basis of what they're supposed to be doing exactly and that's what i'm trying to get to you used to be able to stand up on top and watch practice on the on the baseball in the baseball area and all that stuff is now changed and uh, you know whether it's for the good or the bad and so on you know i think at least saturday practices it'd be a good idea to have open as far as for kids and high school prospects and 
coaches that are out there, high school coaches to come out that are really interested in the Trojan football program to be able to see it and so on. I, I do have to say this. I think it was a little bit out of control, I mean, maybe with Pete Carroll as far as it being a reality show. Uh, it was, uh, you know, people everywhere, all over the field, uh, uh, people just crowding the gates. I mean, it was maybe too many distractions for a football team to get better. I think they practiced hard, don't get me wrong, but there were so many people there and a lot of people not even paying attention. But it was like you, you bring your lawn chair and your suntan lotion and you sit out on the practice field and watch practice. That's the way it was under Pete Carroll. Not that it didn't work, but it doesn't have that same atmosphere there now that it did then regarding that type of practice. This practice, I believe the practices are a different uh, mode and have a different philosophy. I think the entire program has a different philosophy, and I think that the philosophy is that I've been able to see and hear and hear people talk about and watch is a toughness of the program. I think they are trying to make these kids a little bit more mature, a little bit more uh, tough, a little bit more as far as uh, because you have a hangnail nail, you mispractice, a little bit more dedicated to what the cause is. And uh, they're just trying to sort of go back to a more stricter type of program. And I, and I think that this is the way every new head football coach does because, you, you know, you're better off to start tough and get easy, but you can't start easy and then get tough. So I think the best way to be is be overly tough and demanding and then you can let up occasionally, and the kids appreciate that. But you can't start easy and then get tough. It doesn't work. There's a rebellion then. So uh, the changes that are out there I think are good, and they're for a reason. There's been a lot of thought put to it. And uh, when you're a head football coach, you don't have to do it some other person's way. You've got to do it your way. Because if you try to follow someone's ways of doing things, then you really – uh, aren't doing it your way, and you better do it your way because that's what the way the people know that whether you're yourself or trying to be someone else. Uh, makes sense, Coach. And it, I, it's hard for me to tell. I mean, to a man, whenever we talk to players, they seem genuinely excited. And uh, even though practices are tough, I mean, they were. It was almost like they were hitting each other when pads weren't even on yet. They were strip going after the ball, stripping the ball. Is the, I, it's hard to tell, but is the excitement just because it's a new staff or are they happy the way you know the, the new staff is handling things? It, it's probably some kind of combination of the two, but there really is just the change itself seems to have caused the level of excitement to kind of go up on the practice field. And these guys are flying all over the place. I mean, it really looks like a whole different team. You know, it's, it's a way different look at spring football this year than it was last year. And uh, I think there's a reason for it. I think there's more of a uh, well-rounded coaching staff rather than one individual show. I think Pete Carroll was the figurehead of the USC football program. It worked well. But I think now it is more a coaching staff approach. Lane Kiffin, of course, is the head coach. But when you go around and you watch the coaching drills and you see who's on the field, you have to admire the coaches that are there and the way they're coaching for who they are and what they've done and what they've accomplished. And I think the kids understand this. When kids, kids know who knows football. Kids know that if I bust my 
back for this guy, it's going to pay off because he's coaching me up. And I think what you see is a little bit more coaching going on than in the past, not assumption that you know what you're supposed to do. I think that you need to coach. I think that a lot of times you forget that kids are big and strong and great athletes, but they need to be coached. They need to be told. They need to be encouraged. They need to be explained why you're doing certain things. And then you can be aggressive. You know, when a kid has to think on the football field, then he can't utilize his athletic ability. So you keep it simple. You you teach it. You you let kids understand what's going on. And then they can become a great athlete. That's a good point, Coach. And uh, let's get to a couple questions. We have a bunch of them that some were left over from last week. Uh, A couple people wrote in, Coach, and were uh, supportive of you, Ed and Eric, and a couple other people. Um, you know, you gave some, uh, pretty insightful player evaluations that weren't always glowing towards some of the USC players. And I know we got some critical emails and then there was also other guys that said, you know, they really appreciate, you know, your candid player evaluations and they really like that you call them like you see them coach. So people out there appreciate what you do. We do. And you know, we do appreciate it here, coach. We like to hear what you have to say because you have so much experience and knowledge on the subject. Well, you know, as I tell everybody, every time we do this segment. It is only my opinion. They don't have to agree with me. All they have to do is if I'm asked a question by someone to do something, then I just give you my opinion as as if I was the person doing the evaluation of this athlete or athletes or the situation, the game, the call of the play, whatever. So basically, uh, that's basically what I pass on to people, what I'm seeing and how I feel about it. All right. Well, here are our first questions from TD. It's a kind of a philosophy question about the Tampa 2 defense. He's been reading up, studying it up. We didn't give him any homework on the podcast, but he's doing his homework anyway on the Tampa 2 defense. Um, from what he found out, it really looks like the defense depends on a fast middle linebacker, superior speed on defense, even at the cost of size, and great tackling. So his question is, do you think, Coach, do you think, that Chris Gallipo is capable of being a great Tampa 2 middle linebacker, and is Kennard's change to middle linebacker a sign that Kiffin may be looking for more speed at that position? What do you think about that, Coach? Well, do I think Gallipo is capable? Yeah, I do. He's a great athlete. You know, he's a two-way guy, Gatorade player of the year, uh, was a running back and also a linebacker. uh, Great player, great talent. Uh, do I think Kennard can be a great player at middle linebacker? Obviously, I said last year. I thought that's where he should have been playing. I think that's what his position is, especially when they had the abundance of defensive ends they had. They moved him to uh, strong side linebacker, but I said, why, why, why put him on the strong side when you can put him in the middle and let him go sideline to sideline? So I, I, I think it's a smart move. I think uh, competition is great there. Uh, yeah, well, listen, you can't run a 4-3 defense without having a great middle linebacker. I mean, it just doesn't work. You've got to have a guy in the middle that can cover from sideline to sideline, make the adjustments, uh, fill the gaps, stop the run, make the calls, drop to your pass protection area, zones and so on, and, and run the show. You know, when you, when you look at great 4-3 defenses that have been – history as far as on the, in the NFL or any level, you got to have a middle linebacker. You can't run it without a middle linebacker. So yes, I, I think you've got, you've improved the defense at USC by moving Kennard to the middle linebacker spot. I think it's going to be a real battle there. I think 
Gallipo will have to get better. I think that uh, his techniques last year were not uh, at the level of what they should have been as far as tackling, position of tackling, keeping his outside arm free, all the different type of things that you teach as far as to a middle linebacker, the reads and so on. So I think that that he will be coached up by Barry as well as Kennard is going to be coached up by Barry. I think that uh, that Chris has a, a little advantage, seeing, being that he played the position a year ago and got a lot of reps. But I think he got worn down. He played too much. He got really worn down. Uh, he got probably beat up and got tired. And, and uh, you know, the defense took a lot of abuse last year against certain teams and so on you know, by not being able to stop the run. So I think there's going to be a lot of hard work put in the linebacker area for sure as far as uh, starting with the middle to make sure that the best linebacker plays. And and I don't think anybody there has a position made. I think Gallipo and uh, Kennard will really fight it out. And the best guy uh, in the fall will be starting in the first game against Hawaii. Now, Coach, you mentioned that he's he got kind of worn down. I mean, there really wasn't any depth behind Gallipo, the guys either got hurt, couldn't play. I mean, they're just, or the coaches didn't have confidence in them. We've had a lot of people talk about the subject and we even have another question on it, but I'll get to that a little bit later on. But for, do you really think that Kennard coming in, it's not like a one or the other type of thing. I mean, they'll probably, no matter who wins the starting job, if they're both playing at a high level, I mean, I think there's opportunities for both of these guys to play. I don't know if it's going to be on certain downs or things like that, or just not alternating series, but something where, you know, you do need someone to come in and spell the guy. And I think having two quality middle linebackers would be better than having one. Well, it's always great to have depth. I I think that's important, but you know, myself, you know, your middle linebacker is more or less your captain on defense And, and myself, uh, uh, he's going to be the guy. Whoever the starter is, I don't need to rotate him. If, if we're, you know, if we're doing our job on defense, we shouldn't be on the field that much, unless our offense is just ridiculous. And to, you know, the three downs and they punt, and you're back on the field, you're back on the field, you're back on the field. But if you know, if you're lining up and your offense is moving the football and so on, you know, maybe if a team gets a first down or two, uh, you know, you got to stop them eventually. So you know, me, I'm not big on rotating. I'm not big on rotating guys through. I think guys should be conditioned enough that you play as a unit, same as the running back. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not big into that, you know, you know, everybody rotating in the game. I'm for, hey, what's the who's the starter? Get these guys to believe in themselves. Get them to play together, know each other. And, of course, if you, you don't uh, uh, get your job done, then there's always a chance of losing your starting position. So we'll see what happens with that. Until you have a definite number one, you'll see them rotate a little bit because they have to look in the game conditions on who's actually performing. But once you decide who's getting the job done, I don't rotate them, and I don't think they should rotate them. Yeah, it makes sense, Coach. Well, what, what did you look for in a middle linebacker? I remember when uh, Nick Holt first came to USC several years back. I think USC had a, a middle linebacker that, people thought was going to start he was big strong fast uh Danny Urquhart I believe was his name and uh Lofa Tatupu had transferred in and I talked to Nick Holt after I think it was like a spring game or something on the Coliseum floor asking him about 
what he thought at middle linebacker, and he's like Lofa, and and no one really was even talking about him because he didn't look the part as much as some of the other guys did, I think. And, and you know, he, you could see that right away. Obviously, he started watching a play, and it was uh, it was a no brainer. He was just in the right spot. But there seems to be like a level of intangibles at the middle linebacker spot. I mean, because you said he's kind of like the quarterback of the the defense. What are the kind of stuff you would look for when you're trying to find a good middle linebacker? Well, I want to see somebody who's always in position. You know, it's so important. If you're out of position and you miss a tackle, you know, you're supposed to fill the gaps and fill off tackle and do a lot of things depending on what the call of the defense is. you got to be a guy that can tackle. you got to have a guy that doesn't miss tackles, keeps his head up, wraps up. When he blitzes or does certain things, I mean, you're leaving a real gap in the defense. you got to have a guy that can run and get to the football and knows how to find the football. There's an instinct to playing a linebacker, especially a middle linebacker. You have a feel. Well, you know, you remember looking at uh, the eyes of Singletary. Do you remember those films in the NFL where you look at some of the eyes of these linebackers? Oh, yeah. They li- huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's do, crazy do, looking. Do, do I have to tell you any more than that? <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's a different cat, okay? It's a guy that just can't wait to tear your head off, a butt or whoever it might be, some of the great linebackers of all time. And certainly USC has had those their share, especially two years ago. All three linebackers went to the NFL, one being rookie of the year. So what can I say more about that? These guys are special breed guys. They're guys that love to play hurt. They're guys that love to hurt people legally. I'm not talking about hurting people illegally because that doesn't accomplish anything. But they're guys that, you know, like to eat raw meat. And, and, and you know the difference of a temperament of a defensive player or a defensive linebacker or a middle linebacker than you do the other players. They're guys that really don't feel pain. I mean, if they break their arm, they don't even know it's broken. They'll tell you after the game. So uh, this is what you're looking for, and it, it might sound like, man, who's this guy describing? I'm describing someone who would be a great middle linebacker, okay? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Coach. Thanks. All right, well, it's. Thanks for that question, TD. Let's get to the next one uh, from Aaron. Do you think USC has a legitimate shot at a BCS Bowl this year? He was looking at the schedule, and he sees roadblocks could be Washington and possibly UCLA. The rest of the Pac-10, he feels, is trying to rebuild. And especially with the mess up in Oregon, he thinks USC has a realistic shot at a BCS Bowl. Thank you for your show. As always, you deliver the goods. So thanks for that, Aaron. What do you think, Coach, about USC maybe getting back to the BCS after a short one-year hiatus from going to a BCS Bowl? Well, I think uh, SC is that's what you play for at USC. You don't play for anything else. Anything below a BCS Bowl game is a, a losing season. I think not only to the players, but to the coaches, to the fans, to the university. Uh, I think that's exactly is what is expected by the athletic director, Mike Garrett, who gives you the opportunity through the support he gives the football team as well as the other teams to win national championships. And, of course, the Pac-10 is something that's important to win, too. But on the road through the Pac-10, you're certainly looking at a national championship. And if you don't uh, win a national championship, you're expected to be in a BCS Bowl game. And uh, that's the Rose Bowl. Uh, if you win the Pac-10 championship, or if the Pac-10 champion goes to the BCS championship game, you better be in a position to be in a BCS bowl game. And uh, that's something you're expected to do at USC. It's not any additional pressure. It's the pressure that you receive when you come in. 
as a coach at USC and as a player at USC. You go to SC because of that opportunity. There's a lot of universities you can go to, and it's not expected. You're not expected to win a national championship. In the Pac-10, as well as some other universities, they expect the same thing. Ohio State expect to play for a national championship. Alabama, I can go through a few in Texas. I mean, Oklahoma. They want to play for a national championship or a BCS bowl game, and anything below that is not acceptable. At SC, it's the same thing. I feel that way. I think that's why there is so much pressure on the coaches and and people have their own opinions on what's going on and what's not going on because people actually care and watch and follow USC football very closely. It isn't like at some programs where people really don't even know what's going on at some programs. But I think the Pac-10 will be good next year. It's not going to be an easy walk for any team in the Pac-10, even without uh, uh, the quarterback at Oregon being suspended. I, I still don't believe. I, I still have to wait and see what happens on this. When he's practicing now in spring ball, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Uh, I don't know who they open with, and maybe he's suspended for a game or two, and you'll see him come back, Mazzoli. Uh, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, you know, they got a realist, realistic shot at a national championship at Oregon with Mazzoli or Costa, or whoever they have. Uh, I think Arizona's an improved football program, and you can't really give that game. There's no gimme games anymore. Oregon State's not a gimme game. The only team last year that would maybe was a gimme game was Washington State. Washington's much better. All these teams could beat anybody on any given day. So to get to a BCS bowl game, it's very difficult, especially in the – Pac-10, but you don't play any non-conference win games, guaranteed win games. You have to play every opponent, so you play nine times in conference teams that can beat you. And look who USC plays outside of it. Notre Dame, Virginia, and uh, Hawaii. So, you know, I mean, it's not like it's it's a gimme, but it's something that's expected. And for anybody to think that it's not expected... They're wrong because at USC, people go there to win championships. And I think what people want to see from Lane Kiffin was there was like the, the you know, previous years under Pete Carroll, there, there was a slip up. Sure, there would be like one game that USC would lose that they probably shouldn't have lost or really shouldn't have lost. And this last year, I think, was the most frustrating because there was, you know, multiple slip ups and a couple of blowouts. I think. First, USC fans would like to get back to the point where they're going to be favored against just about everybody. Maybe they lose a game, but they're still going to, you know, win mo- you know eight out of nine of their Pac-10 games or whatever, and get a good shot at going to a high BCS bowl. I, th- I think that's kind of the first step, and then the second step would be, you know, clobbering the entire Pac-10, winning your out-of-conference schedule, and being able to play for a national championship. But I think what people were complaining about. Two years ago, when they would you know lose a game or two that they shouldn't, you know, last year people would have taken that for sure because they you know end up losing four games. So it it seems like it's going to be a process. But with with Lane Kiffin, coach, and the talent they have right now and the staff that they've assembled, it doesn't seem like it's going to take a long time to get back there. I mean, they could this year, you know, get in that kind of a one or two loss season, which I think would be a pretty big improvement over last year. Oh, I agree 100%. Uh, I expect that to happen. I, I really do, like I mentioned to you before. Uh, there is not a rebuilding year at USC. 
Pete Carroll left and his staff, a, a great group of players that are there, really great group of players. It isn't like the cupboard is bare. There are great recruiting classes, and how about the recruiting class coming in to add to it? Another great recruiting class. Yeah, they're thin at certain positions. They're thin at uh, offensive line. They're thin at linebackers and so on. But there's an abundance of other great athletes that are there. And believe me, they'll find a combination. The way they're moving the offensive linemen around and so on and seeing what's going on, they understand that some guys didn't knock anybody off the ball. And they don't care who the people are as far as name anymore. Oh, this guy comes in with a great name. He was a number one ranked recruit, and oh, he's got to play. No, that's not. He doesn't have to play. If someone's better, he'll play. And right now, these players, these coaches have not recruited these players, and they have not promised them anything. So you see a whole different thing, uh, a philosophy now. These players have to prove to the coaches that they should play. So uh, the first year you come in, and the the past players that are there. Uh, remember, you only have two coaches on the staff, I believe, that was a part of the past staff. So, you know, uh, they are sort of in the minority of the voting that's going on out here. So all these players' positions are wide open, and I think it's going to make good for USC football. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. Well, let's uh, let's get to another question. Uh, John Carroll wanted to know, I don't think any relation to Pete, but uh, we, he didn't specify, I'm not sure. Um, Shotrell Henderson, you know, the, the big time offensive tackle from Minnesota. Do you think that they may move a tackle to guard to make room? Tyron Smith lost his starting job last year. Would he be athletic enough to make the move over to guard? What do you think, coach? No, I don't think they'll move him to guard because he's going to be a great tackle and you don't want to move him inside with a tackle on the left side is uh, one of the most important footballs, tackles in football. That's what Baker played, and that's where you want the blind side of your quarterback always protected and so on. They played him. He played right tackle in high school. Uh, I would think they'd play him at left tackle, but who knows? Maybe they'll play him at right tackle, but I don't think they'll play him as a guard. I think he, you, you cut down his efficiency. What I mean by that is a tackle has a more difficult position to play as far as blocking quicker and bigger players than a guard, not that a guard doesn't have to be a great player, but uh, he doesn't have to uh, get these quick guys. You get the big, powerful guys inside, and you want to be very strong and physical. But a tackle today, those are the guys that are going in the first round. You don't see guards going in the first round. you got to have tackles. And if Henderson's a player that he he's supposed to be, then eventually he'll work in the plane at the tackle position, my feeling is. Uh, will he play right away? I don't believe so. Uh, I think it's very difficult. Now, a lot of freshmen do start. Don't get me wrong. And this kid is rated close to, or maybe in some polls, the number one player in America. But to come in and start and let somebody punch you in the nose, you know, this kid spends a lot of time getting his hair fixed and stuff and done and looking strong. He's been a celebrity, okay? And uh, remember, uh, he's deserved it. He's a great player. But the celebrity status ends, and uh, all of that ends when you step on the field in a full uniform. This is when you're coming in to take someone's job. And this is when you're coming in to take someone's food or whatever. Someone's been there three or four years, and he feels he deserves this position. And defensive players are trying to test to say, how good is this guy? 
if I look good or great against this guy and he's this great a player, maybe I'm a pretty good player. And people will take notice. Why? Everyone is going to watch to see how this kid does, whether he's starting or he's, if he's at practice. So when you watch individual drills and so on, everybody's going to say, how did he do against uh, Terry? How did he do against Horton? How did he do against these kids? And I'll tell you, I love pride kids. Jackson and these guys aren't going to line up and say, oh, he's going to whip my butt. Uh, we're going to jump on this guy. We're going to let him know he's at USC. Now, if he gains his respect through domination, what I mean by that, if he blocks these guys and doesn't back down, they gain respect from him then. He has got to earn his respect on the football field, not through the articles and the recruitment and the magazines and all of these uh, polls and ratings and five-star stuff. Hey, that doesn't mean anything to these players. He's got to earn their respect on the field. And that's when we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. And uh, even for Tyron Smith, I, 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 you talked about the depth on the offensive line. There isn't a lot of depth there. I don't think you would need to move anybody to make room for Henderson. I mean, he's a big kid, but you don't have to really make room. Um, I think Henderson will have a shot. Like you said, it's going to be really tough to come in and start, especially at a position like offensive tackle. But I don't see them moving Smith at all. I mean, it, you know, if anything, he would, you know, if, if Henderson won the job, Smith could be his backup or whatever. I'm mean, sure they'll move guys around and guys get hurt and stuff. But it, it will be fun to watch when some of these freshmen come in. But they're going to be, you know, Kiffin talked about this at practice yesterday. Having guys like Dylan Baxter and Kyle Prater practicing now, all the meeting time, all the practice time, all the off-season workouts, I mean, they're going to be so far ahead. If Henderson was in camp right now, that'd be one thing. But to come in there, you know, you get to do some summer workouts and then you, you, you hit the ground running when fall camp starts. I think that's a tough, tough position for someone to be in. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a great enough athlete that he could do it. But I think people that come in expecting him to start right away, you know, it, it might be pretty tough to do. You know, he, I'm sure he's going to be a great player, but just starting right away might be you know, extremely hard for him to accomplish. Yeah, and I hope he does. I hope he has the ability to do that. But he's going to have to earn it. And uh, believe me, what they're going to do with the offensive line, they're going to have the best five players on the line. That's, I, I really see that happening now. They're moving people around. They aren't going to have a bunch of guys rotating around, playing different positions. Because I heard uh, the offensive line coach make a statement earlier on, hey, you can't be very good at what you do if you're moving every week to a different side of the ball or a different position, and you never work together as a team. The offensive line's got to work together as a unit. So I really think if, if you start and you're a guard, you're going to be a guard. The next week you're not going to be the other side guard or the left side tag. You're going to, be a, you're going to play where you play. And you're going to, you know, if someone goes down, then you move the guy up because he should be pretty good because that's the only position he plays too. So that's the way I've always coached the offensive line. And it's, it's hard juggling people around all the time because it's not the same unit. You've got to be a unit as an offensive lineman. Uh, so uh, I look for this uh, to be the best five players that come out of the spring are going to be the offensive line starting fall camp. Yeah, well, we'll see. It's going to be fun to watch. We've got to get through the spring first, and then we'll get to see everything that happens this fall. But, Coach, we uh, appreciate the time. we got a little extended segment with you. we got to answer some of those questions. And, again, if you have questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. Send them in. We love to answer them. And thanks again, Coach, for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. 
Brian, thank you very much, and uh, let's don't forget to thank Southern California Ticket Service. Yeah, sctickets.com. Thanks for sponsoring the segment. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk to Dan Weber. More about USC Spring Ball and more of your questions. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We've got a slight change of plans. We are unable to uh, track down Dan Weber today. Uh, we were going to talk to Brian Fisher in our third segment, so we'll just give him a little extended time on the podcast this week. Brian's joining us right now over the phone. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Not bad. I, I feel so... Uh you know, like honored. I get some extra time on the podcast. This is, you know, you made my day, man. <laughs> extra time just because we don't know where Dan Weber is. Uh, he's a busy guy. You know, he's I'm running all over. I'm much easier to find than Dan. Yeah. I'm much easier to find. <laughs> you are very uh, accessible through, you know, instant message or uh, text or whatever that stuff. So that's, uh, that's always a good thing. Um, and there's no Yankees game on right now. So you're definitely free, which is no, a good thing. Definitely concentrated, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, last week we didn't get to do a regular podcast. We had Landy Julius on because the USC Pro Day was going on on Wednesday, so I taped something a little bit earlier. But uh, so we haven't got a chance to really talk about what happened at Pro Day. Maybe we we'll just get a few thoughts. You were down there, got to see some of the guys. Pretty pretty subdued day. It wasn't the excitement of last year with you know all the linebackers and Mark Sanchez and stuff like that. But what did you think of the USC Pro Day overall? I mean, I think that's uh, spot on, your kind of assessment. That was kind of dull, and, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot of buzz. And, you know, Texas's Pro Day was going on at the same time, and so a lot of, you know, people were more of the high-profile people, including Pete Carroll, were uh, in Austin to view that one. So it was just kind of, uh, you know, kind of ho-hum Pro Day, I guess. And, and we really haven't seen that the past couple of years. You know, last year, like you said, all the linebackers working out, Mark Sanchez throwing, there was – you know, a lot of anticipation on how the guys would do. And so there, you know, there was a lot of buzz around the program. And obviously Pete was still there. So you, you know, talk up all the scouts and all the players. And, you know, it was it was a different attitude last year versus this year. It's just kind of, all right, let's get the measurements. You know, let's see how uh, Taylor Mays does in the drills and, and what Damian Williams looks like. And, you know, I think a lot of scouts were hoping to see Charles Brown. Obviously he pulled up with a a hamstring issue, but it was just kind of a, kind of a whole hum day. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, it, one of the big things was you mentioned Pete Carroll. He was down at Texas's pro day, watching Colt McCoy and some of their athletes work out for scouts, not as many head coaches and stuff. I mean, there used to be a lot of head coaches that would come to the USC pro day. Um, but the, the one head coach that wasn't there was Lane Kiffin. I mean, I, I know these guys weren't his guys, uh, but, Pete Carroll, like I guess it's kind of a different philosophy. Pete Carroll would always use that as an opportunity to get his face out there on camera. And Lane Kiffin is being kind of true to his word. He doesn't really need to make a big splash, make a big statement. Um, you know, he felt he was, you know, he got to prepare for spring football practice the next day instead of coming out and spending some time 
watching Pro Day. It just seems like a whole different philosophy with this new coaching staff. Yeah, and I was really surprised, you know, because he was an NFL coach. You know, he coached the Raiders for a year and a half, and you would have thought that he would have come out to, you know, say hi to someone, uh, you know, get to, you know, shake hands with some scouts or whatnot and just kind of make a, a quick appearance. And uh, really all the assistants did. You know, you saw Monty out there. Uh, Joe Barry was out there. Uh, you know, everybody was, was getting a few laughs and, and catching up with old friends if they had NFL connections. And, you know, lo and behold, it was it was Lane that was kind of kind of stole the show because he wasn't there, and so it, it definitely was seemed like uh, from the attitude that everybody had with the day, just because there wasn't so many you know can't miss prospects to watch to Lane not being there, it was really kind of uh, it was a different vibe, you know, and maybe this is uh, like you were saying, uh, Lane Kiffin not wanting to make a splash, not wanting to steal the the spotlight from the uh, guys running the 40s and, and doing their drills so but you know very very interesting to see what what lane does at the next pro day uh and if he will make an appearance maybe he was maybe he was doing a radio interview or was busy or you know had something to do that you know he couldn't come out for five minutes but it, it, it's a little different not seeing the coach I, I know everybody was kind of wondering all right is lane you know is lane gonna show up is he gonna you know come down or and uh sure enough he didn't yeah, and then Pete Carroll obviously not being there. But, you know, to be fair to him, he's got to do do his business up in Seattle. He knows everybody at USC already, so he'd rather see, if he's got an opportunity to see different athletes, obviously that's what he'd want to do. Uh, I mean, the one thing would be if he wanted to come down and support, uh, you know, the guys that, you know, he played for him for so long. But, of course, you know, he's got a new job to do now. He's got to work it out and check out some of the other athletes. And, and he does know those players just, you know, He's known them since they were juniors in high school. He knows exactly what they can do, and there is no reason for him to come out here. I was a little surprised that you didn't see maybe an assistant coach come back just to you know catch up and, and maybe talk with the players. You know, someone like Ken Norton or even a, a Rocky Seto who's maybe on the lower rung in the Seattle organization just to come back and say hi and maybe make an appearance. But uh, you know, because I guess they know the USC players so well, they need to spend more time focused on players that they haven't seen, you know, players like uh, uh, Colt McCoy, if they're looking for a quarterback in the, the second round, uh, you know, just other areas to focus on. And, and obviously because they know USC so well, uh, we didn't see them out there. And that's completely understandable. And, you know, a lot of scouts are saying that for Seattle, they're going to give a chance to guys like Josh Pinkert and, and maybe guys that aren't drafted uh, or in, well, in the later rounds they might go. Um, that's where the USC players could go to Seattle. And uh, maybe that's when they make an impact because they know him so well. Uh, they know Pete Carroll's system. They could kind of slide right in in Seattle and, and maybe latch on up there, at least in the practice squad, and uh, maybe even contribute uh, towards their uh, 50-man roster. Yeah, oh, man, how how – Awkward would it be for Pete Carroll to draft somebody sixth or seventh round, a Pinkert or someone along those lines, and then have to cut him in camp? Ouch. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, we already saw him give a, a two-year contract to Tom Malone, who is yeah. an All-American here at USC, and they they already have a, a Pro Bowl punter already. So, uh, you know, you kind of see the uh, little cronyism already uh, starting to play out in, in uh, the great Northwest. Yeah, we don't want to talk about punters too much, but we're, I talked to Tom a little bit, and man, it's like it's impossible to break in. Punters work till they're like 45 years old, and it's really like you almost need an inside 
connection to get into a you know so that might help out tom a little bit but yeah i mean he's got a great leg it's it's hard for these punters to break in because got no one ever leaves the nfl if you're a punter why would you it's like the money's too good yeah you're getting paid a couple million dollars just to come out and kick a few times a game and you know as kickers get more versatile and you're starting starting to see punters with these big legs uh kick off as well it makes sense for a lot of teams to just hold on to, you know, two guys that you have a place here and your punter and your punter is able to kick off and you save a roster spot that way to where you don't have to carry, you know, an extra guy. And so it is very difficult for a punter to break in. And it's not like, you know, they need a punter in practice squad to just to punt kicks. They can, they can have a, pay a jugs machine, you know, buy a jugs machine for 500 bucks and, and be done with it. So it's, it's definitely hard for a punter to break in. All right. Well, let's uh, that's pro day stuff. Let's uh, talk some, get some questions from some of our listeners. Uh, we do appreciate the questions. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Uh, last segment, we talked with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde. There was a question about Chris Calippo and Devon Kennard. We got another one here. Brian, I thought I'd give you a shot. This one from Kevin. Uh, with Kennard most likely being the backup to Calippo, which I don't think that's anything assumed yet, but this is what Kevin's asking. For the next two years at Mike, based on comments from the coaching staff, if he still does not win the position, I was wondering, will the coaches staff, will the coaching staff move him to Sam or Will so you don't waste his talent and eligibility? I hope Gallipo and him can play on the field at the same time. Also, Malcolm Smith, Michael Morgan will be leaving after the season, so it would be best to groom Kennard to take over for them. What do you think about that? I was just talking uh, the other day with a, a few writers about how if he doesn't win that backup spot, then you can you know move him to the outside thinking ahead for the future because yeah, you do lose your two outside linebackers. And if you ever have to have two returning starters, uh, that definitely lessens, le- you know, lessens the impact of them leaving. And, uh, you know, how this battle goes back and forth, you just – you just don't know how it's going to turn out. Turn out because the coaches have said, you know, we're probably going to keep Kennard at middle linebacker even if he doesn't win the job, and and that's kind of surprising. You don't really know what their thinking is. If maybe Chris Calippo is that third down linebacker because he's you know very good in coverage and Kennard plays the other two, uh, maybe Kennard is just brought in to uh, you know relieve Chris Calippo so he he can stay fresher through the season. Um, or maybe it's just that Kennard is the, the playmaker they're looking at and they haven't had since uh, Ray Malaluga. You know, all that being said, I, you know, from what I've seen with Chris, if he would learn to just uh, engage the blocker that's coming at him and shed it, you know, he's a, an all-star you know, middle linebacker. He, he's shown that he can make plays. We saw it earlier in the season, uh, you know, that the interception at Ohio State certainly stands out for everybody, but you know he's he's a really good middle linebacker and he can make plays. He's very smart. He reads the defenses very well. And if he would just learn, I think his you know that's his biggest problem is he'll get engaged with a blocker, either an offensive lineman or a back or a wide receiver, and he, he just can't seem to shed the blocker very well. And, and he ends up not being able to make a play because he's engaged. So if he can learn to shed that blocker and, and get on and and stuff the run. Uh, he's a three-down middle linebacker, and they don't have to worry about the position. Um, and then that would allow them to move Kennard over. You yeah. just don't really kind of know what the coaching staff is thinking right now because it, they are new, and 
we'll see as the season goes on. This is kind of one of the battles that will, you know, where does Kennard play? Maybe he plays all three spots, and you know, he'll play, uh, you know, first down at the uh, Will, and then he'll, you know, second down at Mike, and you know, Sammy might come off the field for a nickel package or something. You just uh, he's such a versatile player that he can really play all three positions, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what reps he gets. Now, you've got a couple of good points there, and I think one of the points of emphasis for this coaching staff was players that were engaged, they got knocked down, weren't getting back up, or weren't shedding blocks, a certain toughness, uh, a factor that I think the coaching staff wants to reinstill in a lot of these players. And that would definitely be one thing with, Chris Gallipo making sure you can shed these blocks like you talked about. It's a really good point. And also with Kennard, I think, you know, with Gallipo, he didn't have anyone pushing him last year. And I, I think having Kennard there on a full-time basis, maybe he wins, maybe he doesn't win, but you will have someone that's pushed, that's going to push Chris a little bit. He didn't, you know, you didn't have that someone behind you. You put a five-star guy like Kennard behind Chris Gallipo, who's also a five-star guy. I think, it, you know, you can light a certain fire under someone. Not that Chris Gallipo needs motivation, but it certainly would help to have a guy like that. But the, I think they're going to play some games. They're going to move some guys around. I wouldn't worry about Kennard not getting on the field. We talked to Coach Harvey Hyde last segment. He likes to pick a guy, especially at middle linebacker, and go with them. He doesn't want to exchange series or have a guy come off on third down or things like that. He likes to have a, a full-time middle linebacker. If that's the case, it might be harder for Kennard to get on the field if he doesn't win that spot. So maybe they do play him around a little bit. I mean, they've... The coaching staff has done, obviously, a different coaching staff, but they've moved guys in the past. You know, Cushing showed some versatility by playing some middle linebacker and stuff, and maybe you'll see that as well from Kennard. But to come from defensive end and then being able to play middle linebacker and outside linebacker, I mean, that's not an easy transition to make. And the fact that he's able to do that, I think it shows his versatility. And I think the coaching staff knows that right away. You know, Joe Barry, I think, really wanted to put him at middle linebacker. But I think they'll they'll keep it in you know as an option later on if they want to move him around to add depth other positions as well. Yeah, and they they have tape on him as an outside linebacker, so they know what he can do, and they knew that you know he he did start five games last year as the outside linebacker, and he can certainly pick it up very easily because he made that difficult transition from in to outside linebacker. It's probably a lot easier going from the middle linebacker to the outside, and to to be honest, the biggest help that any of the linebackers is going to have this year is that that defensive line in front of them, uh, if, if Jarrell Casey becomes dominant, if Armand Arnstead occupies a lot of blockers, if that turns into, uh, you know, the wild bunch three, I guess is what, uh, Ed, you know, Orgeron is kind of building them up to be. Uh, if they turn into a dominant defensive line, you won't get a lot of questions about linebackers in the future. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point as well. And if you watched, uh, you were down there at practice yesterday. The team drills they did a full pads practice on Tuesday. The team drills just kind of were dominated by the defensive line. And yeah, the offensive line's been, uh, you know, a little undermanned at times. There's a lot of guys that have been hurt, and they don't have a lot of numbers to begin with. But man, it was almost hard to get a playoff because the defensive line was getting in the backfield almost every play. And you know, Lane Kiffin has really come out and said that hey our defensive line, we're expecting them to be dominant. And, uh, you know, if they can get that play, that's where everything starts for that defense. And if they can rush forward and get a pass rush like they've been doing at practice, uh, you know, Monty Kiffin and, and his innovative mind can do a lot of things on the back end with the linebackers in the secondary and, and zone blitzing concepts to really confuse teams 
and play spread offenses a lot different than they're used to. Oh, good point. All right. Well, thanks for that question, Kevin. We got, uh, I think we got our fill of Kennard and Gallipo talk for this podcast, but definitely a fun battle to watch. This is from uh, Luke. He's the number one Trojan fan in Australia. Uh, so we, we love the international questions. Thanks for writing in, Luke. Uh, about the number 55, so it's more linebacker stuff. With uh, Lane Kiffin coaching staff trying to keep the tradition of implementing a number 55 jersey um, to a defensive leader, what do you think about guys that are on the team like Chris Gallipo or any other linebackers heading into spring camp? Are they worthy? any guys worthy of anchoring uh, the defense with that number 55 jersey on their back? I think they're, they're the two candidates that we've been discussing, Kennard and Gallipo, are, are really the only two guys that could stand out. You have Michael Morgan and, and uh, Malcolm Smith, both seniors, so I don't know if they're going to switch numbers this late. Um, but those two guys in the middle, they can certainly uh, step up and, and grab that number. And it's important to remember that Monty Kiffin, knowing Pete Carroll and, and knowing the history of this program, uh, probably understands the significance of the 55. And Joe Barry, for sure, having played linebacker at USC, really knows that significance of, of the number 55. So I don't think the coaching staff is going to make any uh, decision about you know talking to someone about you know taking that number 55. Um, even knowing Chris and, and Devon, I don't know if they want the number 55, and the, you know they want to kind of stand out on their own. Um, it'll be it's always interesting when you get that 50, number 55 question uh, because it, it kind of seems like it, it's a little bigger than what it, it, it is. Um, and you've seen kind of players like Brian Cushing or, or even Ray that maybe wanted to kind of distance themselves to being labeled, hey, that guy is going to be the number 55 guy, or this recruit, he's a, he, should, he should wear the number 55 because it does place a, a lot of expectations on your, you know, yourself if you're wearing that number given its history at USC and the significance it, it carried, it's almost like one of those retired jerseys that you see in the Coliseum. So uh, we'll see what the staff does and, and what the players, but if, if I had to pick two players, it would be maybe the winner of that Mike linebacker spot, either Gallipo or Kennard. You know, Gallipo's been around a while. I don't, I, I've never got the indication from him that he wanted to change. Maybe he does and he hasn't talked about it, but we haven't heard that at all. And uh, Kennard's got a great number, 42. I mean, uh, Ronnie Lott's number, so that's a pretty good yeah. number to have on defense as well. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't think, either, I don't believe either of those guys would want to change, but maybe if the coaching staff asked them to change, they would do something like that because it's a new staff. They want to, you know, start something new. But I know Lane Kiffin likes to recruit, and that can be a great recruiting tool. And because they've had some problems getting some of the big name linebackers they were looking for. Uh, over the last couple of years, you know, then maybe they use that to try and get a five-star guy to come in in the class of uh, 2011, or you know, maybe even giving it to someone in the class of 2010. It's hard to tell. We'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. But thanks, Luke. It is hard to tell. Real quickly, it is hard to tell. But but one thing to keep in mind: neither Galip, well, Glippo played a full season last year, but you know, obviously the the second half is not what he wanted it to be. And Gnarlin played five games at linebacker, so I think. If they're going to get that number, it'll be not this upcoming season. It'll be the next year that they would want to wear it because you want to get a full year of uh, you know of being a playmaker at the at a linebacker position before you're going to wear it. So if it is going to be awarded to someone you know on the current team, 
I wouldn't look for any change this year. All right. Good points there, Brian. Uh, thanks again, Luke, for the question. We have uh, multiple people wrote in about um, some Tennessee player transfer rumors and stuff, and we can uh, talk about them. Sam, Clay, Jim, and I think one other guy emailed in a questions about uh, Tennessee players that decide to leave the Tennessee program, running back Bryce Brown, and offensive lineman Aaron Douglas uh, transferring to USC. What's, what have you heard? There's been a lot going on about this, but what have you heard and what are your thoughts on this situation? Well, it's been really quiet on, on both players as to what their intentions are going to be and where they might go. I um, know, especially with Bryce Brown, the thought early on was that he was going to go to Kansas State and be with his brother Arthur, uh, who's a linebacker for them, and transferred to Kansas State uh, from Miami. Uh, they're from the uh, Wichita area, I believe, and so that would be kind of going back home. Uh but really, it's been quiet on both fronts. And to me, I, I could not see in any universe Tennessee allowing either player to be released to USC. Just the hatred from their fans toward their athletic department for doing such a move, I, I could not even imagine uh, what those Tennessee fans would do. And, and I'm sure you can ask your fiance how, how furious she would be yeah. if, if she heard that Tennessee allowed, you know, allowed them to be released to USC. But one thing they could end up doing is, is maybe going to uh, a lower division school, kind of like Aaron Court transferred to Richmond and he was able to play right away. Well, they could go to a, a JUCO uh, or you know a, a lower level program and then you know go there first and then transfer to USC. I could see that happening. Uh, if maybe Kiffin got in contact with uh, Brown or any, you know the other guy, that could end up happening. But outside of that, that's really the only scenario I see of those guys coming to USC. Yeah, it would be it would be pretty tough. Um, but you know that I, I think there would be some interest there from both players, especially with the you know um, line depth that USC has. Uh, you know, on and the Brown offensive. was recruited at USC uh, under Pete Carroll, and you know, kind of until the very end, and. So he, he certainly knows the program and was interested in it before. Yeah, so that it, it could be a fit, but you're you're right. I don't think the uh, Tennessee faithful would look too kindly if they allowed that transfer to happen. So, All right, well, thanks uh, for that question, guys. Sam, Clay, Jim, everyone else. I know there was a lot of people talking about that on the message boards as well. Uh, this is from Brad. or switched gears a little bit for some recruiting talk. Um, Victor Blackwell, the... Uh, Great wide receiver from modern day. We got to see him at the uh, Five Star Academy. We put up a video interview with him, the Rivals.com Five Star Academy. Happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, it seems like he has pretty high interest at USC, Brad says. Uh, why has he not been offered is Brad's question. I realize Lane Kiffin seems to be waiting with most of the California recruits, but Blackwell even admitted that when schools waited to offer, he lost a little bit of interest. I know we got an amazing wide receiver class this year, but Blackwell seems like a great receiver, and he's only 20 minutes away. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Keeps me sane out here with all these Duck fans. So uh, up in the Oregon area, thanks, Brad, for that question. Um, yeah, what do you think? I mean, we know we're, they're, they're, they've extended a lot of offers to out-of-state guys. Uh, they're kind of waiting more on some of the local talent, waiting for the uh, May evaluation period. Uh, camps and you know they can get to see some of these guys in person because they are local they have that luxury what do you think about Blackwell and not having an offer yet 
Well, I mean, he's like a lot of group groups, like you just said, that are that are in the area or in California that no, aren't holding offers because they're maybe not the, the top five guys in the state. And I think the May evaluation period will be the, the telling answer. Uh, when these coaches are able to get out and visit these kids and you know see them in person, uh, maybe visit a spring practice with them in, in high school and, and see what they can do. Um, certainly with the Rising Stars camp, that'll be another uh, venue for them to evaluate. And because uh, you know the, the reader had a good point, there's you know three five-star receivers that are coming in in this uh, in the fall. So you're going to have uh, depth and, and numbers at uh, the wide receiver position. So they don't have to take a whole lot of guys. And obviously you got someone like George Farmer that they're going to go after. Um, Victor Blackwell certainly could be a target. You know, it'll depend on other areas, say how many linebackers they want to choose. Maybe they'll cut back at wide receiver. So he might be a guy that maybe they'll offer later in the process, but won't really go after him. Um, certainly I, th- I think he could be a, a very good prospect and, um, at this point, I just don't know what the coaching staff you know, is, is thinking in, in terms of what their timeline is in, in terms of offering uh, California prospects. But the upcoming May evaluation period in a couple weeks will be the really telling answer uh, as to what kind of lead the coaching staff has on players like Blackwell. And there's, there's offers that are going to be going out during that. You know, there'll be offers going out from you know, the end of spring ball, even now, you know, all the way through all the camps and everything. And Blackwell certainly could be getting one of those offers. You know, we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens there. I don't think he's going to be too discouraged. He does like USC a lot. Um, so don't, don't worry, Charger fans. It's not like uh, Blackwell won't be coming to USC. It's, you know, give the coaches some time on this. They've really had a lot to do in the short period of time that they've been working here, you know, at USC. So we'll have to kind of wait and see on that. But Brad, thank you for that question one other recruiting thing brian i wanted to maybe you could comment on is uh the recent commitment of christian westerman what what's the what was going on with that well you know i think it kind of kind of shocked everybody at you know how quickly he committed uh, you know especially because he you know visited usc unofficially a little bit earlier uh in the week and um for texas to get an out-of-state guy and identify an out-of-state guy so early like westerman and recruit him hard as they did uh, kind of speaks to, you know, how good a prospect he is. You know, and certainly he'll be one of, if not the top offensive linemen in the country. But, um, you know, USC fans, they're, they're, they're going to be okay, even if they don't end up uh, recruiting him. Uh, I, I certainly think the coaches will still go after him a little bit. Um, you know, how hard we'll, we'll see with the commitment to Texas, because we don't know how solid that is. You know, a lot of guys commit early, and then they'll switch schools three or four different times before actually – you know, signing in February. So it's, it's definitely possible that, you know, because he's an out-of-state guy and doesn't have those, you know, huge ties to Texas that he could flip-flop to another school like USC. But he's certainly a good prospect. I think if he wants to play tackle, uh, which I think is his preference, you'll see, you know, USC has plenty of tackles coming in. You know, they got two good ones in Tyron Smith and Matt Khalil right now. Kevin Graft, I think, can be a really good player down the line and of course they have you know Chantrell Henderson coming in in the fall so there's there's lots of tackles on the roster right now uh, I know the offensive line numbers kind of seem a little bit low but you know Westerman committing early you know you could read into a lot of different things about him and uh, we'll just see we'll see how the process plays out because he's an out-of-state guy um, and really doesn't have a whole lot of ties to either Texas or USC 
this could be one that kind of evolves slowly, uh, especially as the May evaluation period comes out. Maybe the coaches will, will visit him and, and try to convince him to uh, renege on the commitment to Texas. But certainly from Texas' standpoint, it does kind of raise an eyebrow because uh, identifying a prospect early, especially in out-of-state ones, a, a little bit different from their MO. No, you're right there, and we don't usually. You see a lot of the local kids commit, a lot of the Texas kids, not really the out-of-state kids commit as much. So it's a little bit different than the uh, the normal mo for uh, Mac Brown down there in Texas. But cool, thanks for that. Well, we got a couple minutes left, Brian. What, you know, we haven't had you on for a little while. So is there any? Uh, you've been down at all the spring practices and stuff. Any any thoughts on your own you wanted to share? Or something that maybe stood out to you, or what's going on in spring football? There's only four practices in, but there's been a lot happening. Yeah, you know, one kind of sneaky guy that, that no one really talks about that I've seen get a, a pretty good chunk of playing time is Trayvon Patterson. Um, you know, everybody talks about Ronald Johnson and Bryce Butler and, and Kyle Prater and how they're doing. And, you know, they're certainly getting balls thrown their way. But, you know, Trayvon's gotten a, a stinky bit of, of playing time as that speedy slot guy out of the, you know, that can maybe team with Ronald Johnson. He does a lot of over-the-middle routes, and he's not afraid to kind of you know, get banged up going over the middle and grabbing a catch. And, you know, he slowly kind of looked pretty good this this uh, spring. And, and I wouldn't be surprised because uh, Coach Kiffin played him as a freshman that if he were able to, uh, you know, maybe get some playing time down the future and maybe even start a few games just because he's, a, you know, older, he's more experienced, he knows the offense. Um, he's got a good relationship with Matt Barkley. He's a very smart player that can identify where to, you know, sit down in a zone. And uh, he's one of those sneaky guys that uh, you might want to keep an eye on is in a, a deep receiver core. No, that's a good point. He's a, he's a hard worker. Um, and I think that sometimes the coaching staff had really kind of overlooked some of his talents a little bit, the previous, previous coaching staff. I and mean, he didn't really get the chance that I think some people felt that he should get here. And, and I think with all the players – Guys like Mark Tyler. I mean, there's a lot of guys on the squad that maybe weren't getting the kind of playing time they thought. They're getting a fresh look, and uh, that you know, having a fresh set of eyes come in and take a look at them, I think, can only help. And you know, if they can earn it, if a Trayvon Patterson can come in there and earn a spot and and maybe even start some games, like you said, I think they have a new opportunity. And I think he realizes that a lot of guys do. I mean, they really look like, hey, I have an opportunity here, and it's kind of a motivating factor, making these guys work even a little bit harder. And, and with Brandon Carswell out with a hamstring injury, this is kind of his time to maybe move up the depth chart and really solidify a spot, in, you know, in the in the top end of that rotation. He's kind of can play either inside or outside, but you know his, his size and his speed kind of you know maybe will pigeonhole him more as a slot guy. But with no t- you know no true tight ends, I guess on the roster with with Ellison out and, and Ailes always iffy with his you know his ankle or, or other injuries. They could go a lot more three, three, four wide uh, than we might be used to seeing out of USC in the past. And certainly, uh, you know, Kiffin, a kind of an innovative offensive mind, he might say, "Let's let's go with some quick passing game and you know get a, get three or four wide receivers out there." And you know, he talked, you know, coach talked yesterday about uh, uh, Bryce Butler and some of the other wide receivers kind of going up and down. They'll have a good practice and they'll have an okay practice and with a few drops and then they'll have another good practice. And, and Trayvon's kind of been more consistent uh, than a lot of the wide receivers, so that could certainly play into a factor. And then you've got other guys like Devon Flournoy, who I really like. 
Um, you know, anytime you get the ball in his hands, he's explosive. And if they can find a way for him to get on the field and make some contributions, I think it'll really help the team too. Ah, good points, Brian. Well, hey, thanks for coming in cold off the bench, stepping up and getting some extra <laughs> extra minutes today. We appreciate it. Hopefully everyone out there enjoyed it. And it's always fun talking to you, Brian. Great. Love being on. I, I love being the uh, the Mariano Rivera to come in and, and close the show well. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, well, we closed out the show. Great. Thank you very much for doing that. Everyone else, this is the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.